Amen. Well, good morning again, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Matthew chapter 15. We've been uh, working through the book of Matthew. We're a little over halfway through. So uh, if you're visiting with us, we're just kind of taking a chapter each week and looking at this uh, gospel. So Matthew chapter 15 this morning. When I was in uh, high school, uh, freshman year, my friend Mike invited me to go to church with him. And I I had a youth group and church that I went to, but Mike and his family, uh, they went back to their kind of family church, which is about 35 miles away, uh, every Sunday, and it was in Santa Cruz, and Santa Cruz, for those of you who don't know, is a beach town, and so he was selling me on how much fun we would have if I went to church with him, because they would go to church, they would hang out there in the afternoon at family's uh, member's house, and then they'd go to evening service, there's youth group, and he was talking about the beach, and one of his friends in the youth group had a, uh, was being sponsored in BMX bike racing and tricks, and we could go see him. It would be a lot of fun. And, and so finally I gave in and, and went to church uh, with Mike and his family in Santa Cruz. What Mike failed to tell me is that his parents don't usually let him do those things on Sunday afternoon. I think he was uh, hoping that me going, with his parents would give in and let us do those fun things, but they... Uh, went to church and then rested uh, on the Sabbath, and so uh, Mike lost out. We didn't get to do any of those things, and they gave us two options, I believe, as I remember correctly. We could read a book, or we could watch a movie. The movie was hopeful, but the movie was only one choice, and that movie was Fiddler on the Roof, <laughs> which I think is in the neighborhood of about six hours long, if I remember correctly. Um, I didn't like it then, and uh, I'm not a big fan. I've seen Fiddler on the Roof since then, probably uh, three or four times live. Uh, it's, you know, sometimes it's been a little bit better than others. Some of you probably really love it. But if there was a movie that's really going to sum up uh, the sermon today, Fiddler on the Roof, for those of you who know it, might, might help you a little bit. And at one point in time, the main character, the dad, is anybody who knows? I knew, I knew... I was hoping it wasn't you, David, but I knew, I knew it would. <laughs> knew it would be. Uh, the main character uh, sings this song, tradition, uh, Traditions, and at the end of the song, he says, uh, without traditions, we would be as shaky as a fiddle on a roof. You really, you guys need to get a life. Um, <laughs> and so I didn't, I didn't know that that's where... Uh, the theme came from, I watched it again this morning, and uh, I said, boy, this is, uh, this is not the whole movie, by the way, uh, just that one song on YouTube. Um, and so, as we look at this encounter that Jesus has, and as we've been walking through Matthew, uh, Jesus has encounters with three or four groups of people. Uh, one of them, right, is people, the crowds, which oftentimes Jesus is showing his compassion. In the book of Matthew, he doesn't have a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations recorded, although he heals people one-on-one. -on -one, um, and we see these uh, times where Jesus is spending time with the, right, the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. Uh, we see Jesus spending time with his disciples, and discipleship is a big theme in the book of Matthew. And then we see these encounters with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And this is one of those passages where Jesus has an encounter uh, with the Pharisees. And it's an important turn in the book of Matthew uh, because most of the encounters that Jesus has had up to this point of time have been with the Jewish people, Israel. And here he has an encounter 
uh, with a Canaanite woman who then launches into another uh, feeding miracle, which we're going to see is with uh, Gentiles. And we see kind of uh, this focus. Remember, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, but his focus was on Israel. And so we see a change in the focus that happens with the miracle, and we see this kind of theme in Matthew of all the nations. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Matthew chapter 15, and we'll start here. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, if you're not a Jewish person right off the bat, this sounds a little disgusting right here, okay? We're talking about a traditional washing of the hands, not your mom telling you to go wash your hands before dinner. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever uh, reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made uh, void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him, and he said, Hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but he comes, what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Now notice, Jesus has taken a discussion from one tradition, and he's opened it up to another tradition. Uh, their, their eating traditions. And he asked them a question about it. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And the disciples came to him uh, and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this thing? Isn't that kind of funny? Hey, you're kind of offending the religious leaders, Jesus. And he answered them, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind... Both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. Jesus has been speaking in parables, and it's like Jesus looks at him, I'm not speaking in parables right here. (laughs) He said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into uh, the stomach and is expelled? there's There's no parable there. That's the process. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and, and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. You now, in the language here, send her away, it's not clear whether the disciples are saying, would you just heal this, you know, take care of this and send her off, or whether they're saying, get rid of her. 
Uh, so the disciples might be saying here, just do it, Jesus. Okay, not, not the normal way that we read that. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, is it not right to take children, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? Wow. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed immediately. Jesus goes on and heals in the region, and then we have the feeding of the 4,000, which we'll look at in the end. Faith in the wrong thing leads to destruction. But faith in the right person, Jesus Christ, is life-changing. Faith in the wrong thing, your tradition, your practices, your way of doing things, that could lead to destruction, but faith in the right person, Jesus Christ, can be life-changing. Let me give you a few context things before we dig into our sermon. I just have two parts of the sermon, the pitfalls of pharisaical type of thinking, and then what it looks like to be a disciple. But let me give you some background here, because it's really kind of If you don't catch these things in the story, you kind of miss what it means. In verse 1, it says, The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now, there's a map up here. There it is. Jerusalem's towards the bottom of that map, kind of at the top of the Dead Sea. Jesus right now is way up on the other side in the Decapolis area. Uh, And so, think about this for a minute. They, They left from Jerusalem, and they traveled a long ways away to say, hey, your disciples aren't washing their hands. Now, first of all, how do you know? Right? This is something that's been bugging them for a while. And they said, listen, the other thing that just amazed me in thinking about this is how do they know where Jesus is? I mean, he's not posting it to his Facebook. Right? And so, isn't it just amazing how much the word of mouth, it's like he's up over in this area, they go and find him, and they want to do battle with him. What are you doing over here, Jesus? shouldn't be over here, and your disciples aren't real disciples. They don't even wash their hands correctly. Now, I wanted you to understand this hand-washing thing. And so I found this video on YouTube of a current uh, rabbi teaching uh, his congregation how to wash their hands. And I thought it was really fascinating, and he shows them how to do it and run the water, and you got to pour the water into another jug, and you know, how you do the whole thing. And at the end, he says, well, of course, you know, this is to symbolize the purity of heart. I thought to myself, yeah, really? Is it? Because you've just spent six minutes describing how to do it and just a second describing what it's really supposed to mean. So which is more important? And so I was going to show that this morning, and then, then I watched the tradition song this morning. And as, as, as much as I hate that musical, this is what the sermon is all about. This is it right here. So let's watch this song. I knew you guys would enjoy that. Here's the funny thing. Uh, David said, yeah, I can put that on, but you know, we don't have copyright, so if we're going to do it, you have to purchase it. So now I own Fiddler on the Roof. (laughs) 
we'll have a showing of that. Everybody's required to come. All right. Um, the traditions. Uh, you can see how in that the traditions become kind of the forerun for what really is the message behind what God wanted us to remember. Uh, a couple other things about the context here. Um, it's harsh. It sounds harsh that uh, Jesus calls this Canaanite woman a dog. Uh, some commentators would say, well, the, the Greek here is really puppies. So, you know, think cute puppies here. But let's not try to soften it up here. And I think Jesus is trying to make a point. And I think he's trying to see what his disciples will do here. I think it's kind of a test to them. And remember, the Canaanites were the group of people that Israel was supposed to drive out of the land. The fact that there's a Canaanite woman there and a family, it means that it's, it's a reminder that Israel didn't finish what God told them to do in the first place. And who were the Canaanites? They were these, you know, idol worshipers. And so this idol worshiper comes up to Jesus and says, my daughter is possessed by a demon. The disciples are like, yeah, because you're an idol worshiper. So there's this play here of, of what is, is playing. And we see some great faith in this woman, and God heals her. Uh, and I believe Jesus is just trying to put this play in front of us so that we see it, and how would we respond? Um, and then we see this second large feeding of the, the 4,000. And the disciples get there, and again, they're kind of you know, confused. What are we going to do with this situation? And a couple things uh, in that. One, I think they were asking the questions because they were Gentiles. The feeding of manna in the Old Testament was for Israel. So what is God going to do here? And Jesus is going to show he's going to do the same thing. Uh, the other thing is, you know, as I was reading that, uh, the disciples are oh, they're all up in arms again. We don't have enough food to feed people. Um, and you say, man, it was just a couple. It was just a little bit ago that Jesus fed a bigger crowd. Aren't we kind of like that, though? We forget what God did in the past. Uh, so some good things there just kind of in context. So pitfalls of fo following these kind of pharisaical type of rules. The first is that it, it's putting our faith in tradition. Uh, putting our faith in tradition. Now, I know for some of you, when I say the word tradition, you go, ah. Oh. And then some of you go, ah. Oh. And so I will admit this. There are some good things about tradition, okay? There's some things that help us re be reminded, and there's some bad things about tradition. And so we're looking here at some of the pitfalls of tradition. The problem with tradition is that it causes us to focus on people or the past and not Christ, right? So he's got this great answer here. He says, let me tell you where these traditions came from. I don't remember. And we laugh at that. It's funny. But that's sometimes what happens with traditions. Why do we do this? I don't remember why we did it this way. Um, this is the way grandma did it. This is the way her mother did it. It's a tradition. And so we miss what the original reason behind it is. Okay? The story I've told before is the family uh, cuts the pot roast a certain way and and cooks the pot roast before Sunday. And so one time the little girl says, why do we cut the pot roast that way? And the mom says, I, I, don't, I don't know why we cut the pot roast that way. We've just always done it that way. And she turns to mom and says, well, why do we cut the pot roast this way? And she said, 
I don't know why you cut it that way. I cut it that way because I didn't have a pan big enough for it, right? It's just, (laughs) we lost the reason by what we're doing. And so the tradition sometimes focuses on the wrong thing. And so the the Pharisees come and say, "Why why don't you guys wash your hands correctly? It was interesting as I was studying that hand washing, um, I found a a reference uh, in old uh, rabbinical writings uh, that referenced this idea that when somebody slept, the hand washing uh, is another ritual in the morning, that when somebody slept, they would be uh, possessed by demonic forces, and when they woke up, they needed to wash, they needed to wash those things out. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. That can't be true. And I found a second one, a modern-day rabbi saying that when we sleep, when our soul sleeps, we're separated from the body, and that separation causes corruption. And it's amazing how many times traditions are really kind of uh, mystic practices and ties into some really weird things. Jesus says, it's not the point. Now, remember when... uh, Fred was talking this morning. It's true. God did say, hey, I want you to do these sacrifices. And so it is an interesting question when it comes up. But you can't come to a passage about the hand washings in the way that they did it. These were added on. Now, second, so what's the solution? The problem is it makes us focus on on honors the past or people and not Christ. The solution is to trust Christ to make us pure. In our reading today in Jeremiah Uh, Jeremiah says we need to stop trusting in people, we need to trust in the Lord, and then a few verses down they talk about the the traditions of the Sabbath, and you're not practicing the Sabbath correctly. And part of the Sabbath, not working on the Sabbath, is trusting Christ. It's trusting God that he's going to continue to provide even though you're not working that day. And so we need to put our trust in Christ, that he will make us pure. That's not the hand washing that does that. Second, putting our faith in ritual or certain practices. Um, The problem is ritual honors outward adherence instead of inward change. Uh, I love the line in the song there, uh, and I did just say that publicly. I I love the line where he says, these traditions help us to know who God is and exactly what he wants us to do. See, if we just say, look, to be a Christian is you've got to read your Bible and you've got to give 10% and you've got to show up on Sunday and you've got to do this, this, and this, and you go, okay, now I, I know. These are the things I have to do, and, and I go through all these things. Then I'm a Christian, and, and really what it is, it's more of a relationship with Christ, and, um, and it's, it's not a ritual. It's not a, just a practice. And so sometimes the problem with rituals is they honor the outward adherence instead of the inward change, and the solution is Repentance is changing of the mind that results in a change of direction. When we repent and decide to follow Christ, it should mean not just a change of mind, but it should be a change of heart that leads us in a different direction. And so Jesus says of these people in verses 8 and 9, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines and commandments of men. One of the things that they did in order to keep themselves from sinning was that they put up what we're going to call boundary markers, putting our faith in boundary markers. Now, a boundary marker is something that says, well, we're not supposed to 
do this thing over here, right? We're not supposed to, to drink. And so uh, we're going to say, hey, we, we can't, you know, whatever it is, we can't get drunk, so therefore we're never going to drink beer. And because we never drink beer, uh, we can't play pool because pool tables have been in bars. And because we can't play pool, then we, you know, and it just keeps going further and further. And these are boundary markers we set so because the original law over here was don't get drunk. And so these boundary markers make us feel really safe, but there's some problems with them. They promote a self-centeredness. In the sense of, uh, it always amazes me when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and Jesus says, he kind of quotes the, the Ten Commandments. He doesn't name them all, but he's kind of referring them. And the rich young ruler says, oh, I've kept all those. Really? You love your neighbor as yourself all the time? Wow, that's amazing. And so we have this idea of just kind of a self-centeredness or a self-righteousness. We have our list and we love to show it to people. I don't do this and I don't do this and I don't do this because I don't go over those boundary markers and I'm more holy than you are. And sometimes they end up promoting self-interest. Right? You can clearly see in the the song there, uh, the rules of the papa serve the self-interest of, guess who? The papa. Let's, let's make sure he's got all the things that are working for him. It's, it's a self-interest type of situation. So the solution is to ask God to change your heart. And I think that we need to enter into a practice that maybe sometimes we struggle with as Protestants. Um, we talk about repenting and believing in Jesus Christ. Um, I think that's a... And we come to faith one time, so don't, don't misquote me here. But the idea of repenting and believing is something we need to practice on a regular basis. It's not a one-time thing. Let me give you some examples of that in the Old Testament. In Psalm 51... In David's great confession, as he is repenting of adultery, he, he says in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. There was a, an old song that came out, I think at, probably in the 80s, some of you guys remember that. Uh, I hate that song um, for two reasons. Uh, one, my wife and I were visiting a church one time, and uh, we heard the worst rendition of it that you have ever heard in your life. And I can't, there was a period of time, we've gotten over it, but there was a period of time that my wife and I could not sit in a worship service and hear that song and not start laughing. It was so bad. Um, but the second reason is, as a pastor, um, and Lead, you know, having songs that sang that song, there was always somebody that complained about this song uh, because the theology is wrong. We don't lose the Holy Spirit anymore. Why are we singing this Old Testament song? Let me just look at this psalm and think about this in the terms of repentance. We're not going to read the whole psalm. When you have sinned and you confess your sin to God, um, the Bible says he forgives you. Now, I hope that's appealing to you, because if you're honest, we all sin more than we would like to admit, and that sin makes us feel 
if we're convicted by the Holy Spirit. Dirty. Separated from God. And so we too can ask God to create in us a clean heart. We want that. And renew a right spirit. What is the right spirit? It's a spirit to to follow Jesus Christ, to obey next time. And cast not the Holy Spirit from me. I I believe that once you're saved, you you have the Holy Spirit and he's not going to leave you like he did uh, Saul in the Old Testament. I'm not concerned about that, but when you sin, do you feel connected to the Holy Spirit? When When you're really, I mean, the conviction part of it, maybe you feel that, I hope. So there's a process that we go through of creating a clean heart. Now, the, the boundary markers, some of those keep us from sin. But at some point in time, we begin to honor the boundary markers and not the heart that God wants. And so the Pharisees, they're saying, look, we, we obey all the rules. Jesus isn't saying that they don't obey the rules. In fact, later on, he tells the disciples, listen to their teaching, but not how they do it. And Jesus says, your hearts are far from me. You have no desire to do anything. You do all this stuff, but you don't have a clean heart. God is not renewing your spirit. You're you're missing the point. I think a a prayer that we need to, to pray more often from Psalm 139. At the end of Psalm 139, and many of you are familiar with it, the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Listen, this is a bold request. Okay, we think about it. Think about this in your own prayer. Just take it, take it away. Lord, God, try me. How many of you want to enter that into your prayer list this week? God. Go ahead, test me. Do you, do you see the, the psalmist isn't worried about the boundary marker. He's worried about his heart. And he's saying, let's test the heart. Try me and know if there's, if there's any uh, anxious thoughts. Know my thoughts. And see if there are any grievous ways in me. And lead me to the way everlasting. Do you want real change in your life? Or do you want just adherence to the traditions and the rituals, and the boundary markers. I think real, true disciples want a change in their heart. So what does the discipleship focus look like in the opposite end of this? First of all, it's faith in Christ. It's amazing as this Canaanite woman is the example of faith. We've seen the Pharisees, and they are the example of not faith. And now this Gentile woman comes up to Jesus, and she is the model for faith. It's amazing. And so she comes up to Jesus, verse 21, verse 22, and behold, a Canaanite woman from the region, right? This is the region, if you saw the map, it's way up in the north. Jesus keeps trying to get away. He's been trying to get away for a couple of weeks, and he went across the Sea of Galilee. That didn't work. So he goes over to the coast, right? You're going, now he's up. He's way up in, in, the, in total non-Jewish region. Okay, good Jewish boy and girl doesn't go up here. And he's way up there. There's oh, nobody there. The crowds are gotten. What happens? There's a Gentile crowd around him. They're begging for him to do something. And so the Canaanite woman from the region came and was crying, listen to this, have mercy on me, Jesus. Is that what it says? 
have mercy on me, Lord, Son of David. That's the title. You're the Messiah. You're from the line of, you're the king. The Gentile woman is the one that declares this. She has great faith. Now, it's interesting to me, what drives this great faith? Need. It's driven by need. Because her daughter is sick. Her daughter's not just sick. She's demonically sick. I don't know how she knows this. But she comes to Jesus because she is in need. It's amazing how many times need leads to faith. And that's okay. And sometimes God puts us in need, so he leads us to faith. It's dependent on our understanding. Oh, Lord, son of David. She gets it. She has an understanding of who Jesus is. And so why do we encourage you to do the reading in the New Testament and the Old Testament? Because I want you to understand who Jesus is. I want you to continually see who he is. Third, it's dependent on humility. This woman shows an incredible amount of humility. Jesus, should I be given things, should I, should I be given to what's Israel's to the dogs? Hey, Jesus, even the dogs eat the scrap of the floor. There's enough to go around. I just want the scraps because I believe you're that Huge. Jesus is amazed by this. When you approach God, do, do you ask for things because you think you deserve it or because you're just looking for table scraps? You see the humility in this woman. And through the whole thing, it's focused on Christ. Faith is often driven by need. It's dependent on our understanding it's dependent on humility that we humble ourselves before God and it needs to be focused on Jesus, the Messiah. Now the goal of this is we have faith in Christ is to glorify God. And so Jesus went from there and he walked beside the Sea of Galilee. So he comes south a little bit. He's back kind of in the Galilee area. He's picked up some Gentiles and the crowds are, are, came with him, right? The crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame and the crippled the mute, and many others, and they put uh, them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled uh, healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. That's the point. Disciples aren't trying to honor the past or honor people. They're trying to bring glory to God. If you're saying, look at my list, I've done these things. I got my stars. I got my check marks. People know me. Then who's getting the, who's getting the glory? The point of being a Christ follower is to glorify God. The very first question and Catechism, we, we don't do that in Baptist circles, but maybe we should, we've, we've done some of them here. But the very first question is, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Glorify God. 
in the end, who is being lifted up in your life? I think the third thing that comes with a discipleship focus is compassion on the nations. So here we have this interaction with the Gentile woman. And then in verse 32, then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I'm willing to send them away. I'm not willing to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, now notice last time the disciples came and said, hey, you you should probably disperse the crowd. They need to get home. And this time the disciples don't do it. Jesus comes to them and says, we need to do something with the crowd. Those commentators would say there's there's a difference between this crowd and the last crowd. This crowd is mostly Gentiles. And their own own feelings, prejudices, are rising to the top here. Jesus had compassion on them, just like he had the compassion on the last crowd. Jesus initiates it. Jesus said, how many loaves do we have? Seven and a, a few small fish, and they direct the crowd, and they sat down on the ground, and they took the seven loaves, and again, the miracle happened. Jesus has compassion on the nations, which is one of the focuses of Matthew. Matthew focuses on uh, the wise men coming to worship him. He focuses on some of these Gentile encounters, and he ends with, right, go make disciples in the world. There, that's, it's, a, it's a nation focus. Now, I love the honesty, uh, again, I said it again, of the, the song traditions. He said, the other circle. I hate to tell you, I don't know if they showed there, they showed kind of the Catholic Protestant people, they were doing things like playing chess, right? It was pre-pool tables. Look at them. And he says, <laughs> he says, we don't bother them, and up to now, you know, so far they haven't bothered us. That's not go make disciples. That's not be salt and light to the earth. That's, we don't want anything to do with them. And so many times when we get in our traditions and our rituals, it becomes our circle, and everybody in our circle is comfortable. You know, I, I get to uh, occasionally visit other churches, and it's just funny because when you're in a church for a long period of time, like things that are not really normal become normal to you. And uh, we went to church uh, one time, and, and uh, we sat down and worship service, and then communion started. And they didn't explain communion at all. They didn't say anything. And people just started getting up and going to the communion table and helping themselves, which is fine. That's their tradition. It's the way that they do it. But if you don't know the tradition, you're kind of like going, I don't know. Should we go now? I don't know. Are we allowed to go? I don't know. I don't want to go. Do you want to go? No, let's not go. It just just feels weird. Okay? I mean, we had a, a tradition in the church that I grew up in high school on the Sunday evening services, the last song, we would all join hands and sing, We Are the Family of God. It was this song, I don't know if anybody remember. I can't sing it now, although I've sung it a bunch of times. But if you're visiting and all of a sudden people are coming across the aisle saying, you know, hold my hand, that's weird. Okay, so there's these things that we do that are just seem kind of normal when you're in the circle. And what Jesus is, is showing his disciples here with the Canaanite woman and the feeding of the 4,000 is 
we're going outside this circle. This is the end goal here. Fourth, uh, faith in the Spirit's power. You know, it's, it's interesting that the disciples, uh, you know, just saw this, this miracle. Um, and uh, now they're headed out to uh, this Gentile area, and they don't necessarily believe that the power can happen there, the same miracle. And we're kind of the same way. We forget what God has done, or we, we don't think he's going to do it in this situation. And, and sometimes what we're doing is limiting what God can do. And I think we do that in our life. I don't, man, I don't know if God can handle this one. Really? One person in a book I'm reading right now said, the gospel is all about restored relationships that restore relationships. The gospel is all about, and this is the gospel according to Dave, we had the gospel according to Gene. Uh, the gospel, it should be one gospel, I think we're all okay with that. Right there, the gospel is all about restored relationship. God restoring his relationship with you, and that should lead to restored relationships outside of our circles. It starts with you. And finally, in this whole idea of washing hands and eating table scraps and feeding, can we just be reminded that whatever holiness we have, we have because of Christ. It's not your holiness. It's Christ's imputed holiness in you. In Isaiah, it says, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. And I've always said, boy, if God was writing down our sins, you know, it would be this huge book. And it says, all we like sheep, right? God looks down and he sees our sin. It's just this book of every wrong thought, every wrong attitude, every wrong thing. And it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. You've seen me do this before. But he has laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. When God looks down from heaven, he doesn't see our sin because Christ took it. The other amazing thing is that God takes Christ's righteousness and he puts it on us. That's an amazing thing. When God looks down, he doesn't see all the little stars you have in your Sunday school book. He sees Christ's righteousness. It's his holiness. And we're dependent on that. Three questions uh, that we need to ask kind of moving forward. Uh, who am I trying to impress? Sometimes we are so concerned with maybe what other people think. If I say this or if I do this, uh, will they think rightly of me? Will they think I'm a good Christian? Will they, will they think I'm a good person in, in standing? Who is it you're really trying to impress? Are you worried about what God thinks? Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And so who are you trying to impress? I'm tell you, you can impress me, you can impress the elders of the church, you can impress people in the church, but if it's, your heart hasn't been changed, then you've missed impressing the one person you need to do. You need to have faith in Christ. The end of the, the song, tradition, the, the larger circle, the smaller circle, who is it you're trying to impress? Second, uh, how am I dealing with the Pharisee in me? And I would just say this, if I'm honest, 
there's a little Pharisee in all of us. Right? There's certain people you say, man, uh, you know, I don't judge other people. Right? Really? You don't judge other people's driving? The person in the check stand in front of you, you weren't thinking to yourself, oh, that is definitely 11 items. Okay? That's a judgment. The way your kids parent, that's a judgment. I got a little quieter on that one. That one wasn't as funny. Now you're getting personal, Dave. Right? These, we, this is judging others. And so we all have that little Pharisee inside of us. How are we dealing with that? Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. That needs to be our prayer. And then finally, am I trusting Christ? Look, we can put our faith in all the wrong things. I think it was Billy Graham that said, right? Uh, how did he say it? Uh, being a Christian, uh, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car, right? Just because you go to church, just because you give a little money just because you go to a certain... That doesn't, make you, that doesn't make you a Christian. It's about having our faith in Jesus Christ. Have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior? Is it your desire to follow him? Those are the questions we ask today. That's, that's what our faith is centered on. I didn't ask, how many times have you been to the church the last month? Okay, that's pharisaical. I didn't ask, how much money have you given? That's pharisaical. The question is, have you trusted Jesus Christ? And is it your desire still today to follow him? Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this morning, a time of worship and celebration. Thank you for your word. May we be challenged in it. Um, thank you for the people that uh, work behind the scenes at Hillsborough First Baptist Church to to uh, do ministry. Thank you for Rich and the job that he's doing with um, the summer series and for the volunteers and for those that are working in the nursery and childcare today and the worship team and ushers and greeters and deacons and deaconesses. Lord, we just thank you for those that are, that are serving you out of a heart that loves you. Lord, help us to love you and to follow you um, because of our heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.